Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, I'm joined by John C. We're talking about pie. No, not that kind of pie. We're talking about the pre-approval information exchange. This is a series of discussions that a manufacturer has with payers before we're on the market. This exchange helps payers understand how much a product might cost and how much a product might save and helps our manufacturers then go to the market and get access earlier and better. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be talking about the pie discussions next on the Cineos Health Podcast. John C., welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thanks. Great to be here, Jeff. So you are Vice President of Managed Markets in Cineos Health, and you are a content subject matter expert. What does that mean? Well, my role is to provide kind of a real-world view of what our account teams that are working with our clients are doing on a day-to-day basis. I've carried the bag as an account manager. I've led and launched account teams across the U.S., and I've done the analytical work related to the healthcare economics as a lead for an HEOR group. So it's to provide kind of the real-world view from the customer side. Okay. So when you say account team, you're not talking about walking into just a hospital and that's the account, but you're talking about a managed markets account. It can actually be either. So these things cross over. Payers are accounts, but IDNs and hospital systems are also accounts. And that's largely overlap because IDNs and hospital systems are now taking risk the same way that insurers and payers only used to take risk in the past. And an IDN is an integrated delivery network? Correct. So like a system of hospitals. Yeah. If you've never worked in managed markets and you work at a pharma company Mm -hmm. and you kind of know that there's a managed markets function, but you don't really know what they do, why are account teams necessary? Well, I like to describe it as the sales force drives the prescription behavior of the physicians. The managed markets account team protects the product prescription by making sure that the insurers provide coverage for the product. And they do that in the way that they contract with insurers or the way that they get formulary placement. The key thing is the barriers that payers can put in place of a prescription being filled are what we want to make sure are as low as possible. I can understand driving up a pile of money. (laughs) (laughs) A high rebate gets access for a lot of products, even not necessarily the best products. And that's just where we are in the industry right now, at least in the United States. Mm -hmm. What else can you do? What do you do when you don't have or don't feel that you can give that kind of rebate? What other tools are in the armament? What do you bring? You led these teams at very large companies. The main thing is, like with everything else, you create clinical differentiation. But the quality of your evidence, as long as it aligns to the buying needs of the payer, you'll be more successful at having to overcome this push that they'll put on you to contract. So if your evidence is built on the elements that allow the actuaries at the insurance companies to make positive decisions that your product exchanges value by being more expensive potentially on the acquisition side, but less expensive in all of the other costs of care for a patient, that's how you can work around it. But the evidence is the key element. Part of what we want to talk about today is just how we can begin to develop that evidence earlier in the product lifecycle when it's going through R&D. I help develop some of this evidence as part of my role in consulting. I get the sense, having talked to more than a few payers, that they're skeptical of the evidence. <laughs> the evidence that's brought to the table is oftentimes not believed, especially if it's complicated. And that's a reasonable position to take. You're adversarial. 
you're literally across the table. And their job, particularly from a pharmacy director point of view, is to extract as much of a rebate out of that conversation as they can. On the other hand, those aren't the only economic decision makers at a payer. So one of the things that the better companies are doing is that they're going broad and deep into these insurance companies in order to build advocacy across the business. A pharmacy director is not as interested in the total cost of care on the medical side. A medical director is very concerned about that, particularly since it represents 80 or more percent of the cost of all of the expenses related to that patient. We've had a lot of mergers recently in the industry, so some of the very largest pure play pharmacy benefit managers that only had exposure to that pharmacy side, all of them now have a medical benefit company that's attached to them. So now they're both, they're integrated, at least on paper. Has that translated into actual decision-making where the pharmacy is the tail and the medical is the dog that you kind of say, or is it the other way around? The easy answer to that is that it was never one or the other pushing it when it was a pure insurance company where pharmacy and medical were actually within the same organization already. So the fact that PBMs have a medical benefit attached to them does mean that folks still operate in a vertical. Our ability to help our clients get to C-suite decision makers is very challenging for the pharmaceutical companies, largely because the vast dollar amounts that the insurance companies are dealing with don't really make as much sense when you're dealing with an individual product. So the opportunity here is to build advocacy across a broader audience within the plan, not just try and go to the C-suite and push into pharmacy. So you build advocacy within pharmacy the best way you can. Also on the medical director side, there are quality initiatives based on particularly if they're Part D plan and they care about their star ratings, so forth and so on. There are lots of folks, case management, a great example with oncology where every patient is case managed. That's also true in congestive heart failure and other diseases. There's one particular tactic that we're going to talk about today. There's this suite of things that can be done. You said that there was one particular one you thought was something that needed to be brought to the forefront, something that comes on early when you're just about to launch a product or have launched a product. Tell me what that is. Just to kind of set the stage, in the past, the managed markets component of the evidence development usually started at launch, maybe a few months ahead of that. But there have been some recent changes in the last couple of years driven by AMCP and also the FDA creating language in their guidance that allows manufacturers to have conversations ahead of launch around product characteristics and the burden of illness and actually the cost of the product, some other things. So that's an unusual thing that's only been around for about a year and a little bit. And what's great about that is that they've developed a framework called the Pre-Approval Information Exchange that has a series of components within it that allow that conversation to be very productive and acceptable to both sides. So pre-approval information exchange, P-I-E, mm-hmm. the so-called PI, PI what? It's a PI conversation, PI presentation, PI discussion. The basic elements are to, with some level of clinical and economic rigor, describe the product. We're not making claims. There's no approval to claim against. We're actually just describing the product for the payer. And part of it is, is that particularly in this day and age where there are so many new rare disease, orphan drugs that are bringing actually disease states to the payers that they have in the past never thought about because there wasn't a treatment. In fact, educating the payer 12 to 18 months ahead of launch is important. And you might say, but John, why? Well, in reality, if in fact 
any of these payers provide a benefit to a government patient, whether it's state Medicaid or Medicare, they actually have to provide their premium that they're going to be charging the government, usually six, nine, 12 months ahead of the actual time that the premium is actually going to be used. So in that respect, having the information so that appropriate projections can be made by the insurance company are critically important. Otherwise, they propose a premium and an innovation comes to the market and they can't adjust that premium once the submission's gone in. It's a challenging issue. And I think the AMCP and FDA have done a good job to try and create a dialogue about how payers can prepare for that. Yeah. And AMCP is the largest payer organization that interacts with the industry. And it's driven largely by pharmacy directors. So there are some medical directors that are part of it, but it's usually on the pharmacy benefit side. So it's usually around pharmaceuticals, things like that. There are other groups at AMCP that have medical director groups that are driven more by medical device and diagnostic and things like that and labs. But that's a great example of how industry, the agency, and manufacturers have all worked together to come to a solution because transparency in this instance is very, very helpful for everybody. It's odd. We described it as an adversarial relationship between the manufacturer and the uh, payer. And that's often true when you're negotiating. So they don't want to take your evidence, not because they don't believe you, but because they don't want to believe you or at least let you know that they believe you. Here it's different. Here the interests are aligned. They have to get their forecasts right because if they don't get their forecasts right, then they don't set the premiums right and they potentially either lose business because they're priced too high or they lose money because they are priced too low and they didn't anticipate. So it's odd, right? It is. We're on the side of the payer. It feels weird. It's actually a good thing, though, in the sense that it's driving change into the manufacturers. So one of the things that comes with this, if you're going to talk about a product 12 to 18 months prior to launch, it's very likely you've not even finished your phase three. And the issue related to that is that you have to have enough evidence and data points to be able to support an understanding by the payer. So you can have repeated meetings, but you have to position the product in such a way that's productive. So one of the most important things that can be done 12 to 18 months prior to the launch of the product during those initial pie presentations is to describe the burden of illness. And real-world evidence is an incredibly powerful way. Now, to be sure, the way real-world evidence draws information, whether it's claims data or it's evidence out of an electronic medical record or whether it's a patient-reported outcome or all of these other things, each of those have strengths and weaknesses, but we've not typically brought that kind of information to payers this early on. Usually, it's well past the launch. And the advantage here is that the payers then have, oh, here is my burden. And they can actually replicate, in many instances, the evidence collection that a pharmaceutical manufacturer can do for them in such a way that they can determine the burden of illness for their insurance entity themselves. It's a really important step in the right direction. It really challenges manufacturers, though, because that's not something we typically do. Let's role play this a little bit. I'm a payer. You're a manufacturer coming to have a pie discussion. What does this discussion look like? Is it in a room like this one? We're sitting in a minor studio, so I'm gathering not, but something like a conference room. What does this look like? These initial discussions are typically, they can be one-on-one just conversations. So you and I have had a relationship because of other products that I brought to you in the past. And so I'm bringing new information to you. What gives you a level of confidence is that the parameters on how I deliver that information, it's set into a template that's pretty strict. No marketing, no claims, nothing like that. It is, here's the information that we have about burden of illness, what the product does based on the known information today. Perhaps some of it's not even all that robust.
robust. It could just be phase two. But in fact, if we've gone through a calculation on how our product can influence the total cost of care of that patient, we can communicate that. Healthcare economic information, that's a critical component of this so that the payer can make a decision about the burden that this new product will have on them. And then the other thing about it is, is that it's imperative that we kind of put the product into perspective. So, for example, in the oncology space, one of the things that's helpful is that NCCN guidelines give us kind of these buckets, first line, second line, third line. But within those buckets, they don't always say, use this first, this second, this third. They say, okay, here are your choices, Mr. Physician. Well, payers will often use the NCCN guidelines as kind of a framework for where the product fits. These are the cancer guidelines, the national. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for that. And so what happens is that within the same, let's say, second or third line area, there might be products that actually work quite differently. But in fact, a payer is having to make a decision, okay, do I put both these products? I have a product. Do I want another one? Or I have none. Now, do I want to add two because I'm getting this information? And so it's on the manufacturer to kind of describe the market basket for them. And it's an important part of changing the communication that we have with payers. It's a very, very helpful way. And while the rules are strict, it does allow us to be able to talk about products that if you were to look at them PI to PI, you couldn't ever compare. Package insert to package insert or physician insert to physician insert. Yeah, because the audience is different than a physician making a decision about an individual prescription for one patient. And I'm picturing now one of those PIs that say piece of paper that I pull out of my jar of pills that I get every month, that very tiny thing that unfolds, very, very large, larger than most maps. And it's full of very tiny print, black and white, and a lot of information. Is that a pie discussion? I'm thinking about at the other end of the extreme, I've seen commercials for many, many, many pharmaceuticals that tell me about all the side effects and that I ask my doctor. They're very pretty. I'm guessing it's not that either. So what are we talking about? PowerPoint presentation? It is. It is. And the evidence is usually very specific. So here's a chunk of data, here's a chunk of data, and here's a chunk of data. The package insert, as precise as it is, doesn't even exist at the point that we're having this conversation. So some of the information that will ultimately be in the package insert isn't even discussed during the pie presentation. Might not have an indication yet. No, we do communicate a proposed indication, but the actual indication can change and often does even in the last weeks before a product is launched. Good times. (laughs) Yeah, but the rules of the road are pretty well laid out. AMCP, the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy, has laid out guidelines. And in fact, you can literally, as a manufacturer, communicate through the AMCPE dossier system your elements of your pie presentation mm-hmm. so that it kind of exists in this place where a pharmacy director can go and gather that information ahead of launch. Or we have a discussion, you're the pharmacy director, we have a discussion, my information is in the dossier system for AMCP and you can go look at it again after it's over. These 10-minute discussions, half-hour discussions, all day? Well, no, it, I think the rational view, if I can get an appointment, it's almost always going to be for an hour. If I invest that time well, I'm not going to cover everything, which means that if you're talking to a payer nine, 12 months ahead of launch, you will be back with more evidence and better detail in the future. Is this something where it's one team that just goes around the country doing all of these, or is this your normal team? You've got a team maybe that's assigned to two or three payers if they're large nationals and maybe five or six if they're smaller regionals. It's that team that goes in and does it then? It is. And almost always they'll be supported, whether it's a medical liaison, so kind of somebody who's a clinical expert, 
or even somebody who's a medical director from within the manufacturing organization. It may also include somebody who's in the health economics and outcomes research group. So one of the advantages of these meetings, because the parameters are so specific, it's often helpful to bring in the actual content experts within each segment. The account manager is talking about cost of product. The HUR, health economics and outcomes research person, is talking about burden of illness. Clinical person is talking about clinical attributes of that product, perhaps against competing products. All of those people, if you're doing this well, should be in the room because it's the most productive way to communicate the information so that you as a pharmacy director can ask a question and that content expert is sitting right there to answer it. Okay. And we've gotten there. He's at the stage. What goes in these things? What are some of the best practices? How do you do this in a way that is actually meaningful? They're kind of new. So have we figured them out? The main parts of it are fairly well laid out. However, the key components are always going to be the elements that describe the product, describe the disease, describe the competitive environment, and then have some description of the economics of product use. And it's usually against the competition or against the disease burden. So those four things have to be described with no claim related to it, no marketing pizzazz, no fancy colors, all that stuff can be left out because you're just literally delivering the information. And it's an opportunity for the exchange to take place, that communication. It should be fairly straightforward because the evidence you're presented has to come from someplace specific. And it's all going to be referenced. It may not always be published yet, but you want to be able to source your information comfortably. This is different from when you are on the market and you have very regulated, I can hand this paper out, but not that paper out. Can you hand basically anything out at this point? The leap behinds, I've not seen any leap behinds that people do. They're within the leap behind piece is the information that you put into the e-dossier system in the AMCP website. Beyond that, I've not left things behind. Okay. If there's published literature on your product, even though it's pre-approval, okay. But that's almost never the case because the time frame is too tight for that kind of thing. But if it exists, it's conceivable that it could be left behind. Let's say I'm a company that has never done this before. I've launched products perhaps in the past, but I've not launched in the recent enough past to have known that I had to do this. It's not in my toolkit. It's not something I've done before. I'm not really familiar. What do I have to know that maybe I wouldn't have thought of? The most important thing that you're going to want to do is you need to understand the point of view of the audience across the table. They have a certain level of expectation of you delivering on their expectation based on the template that exists. So whether you have the information or not, be transparent about what you have and what you don't have. If you're going to deliver this for the first time, the opportunity is to actually show them. It's to lay your cards on the table and say, this is what we know. And obviously, you're not going to show them proprietary information or information that you're not certain is going to bear out in the long run. But the opportunity is to have the conversation and create a dialogue around it. The main elements, again, were the four that I talked about before, the product, the competition, the economics, and the disease burden. But beyond that, it's an exchange, a conversation about how this should go. And what have you seen that people think is really important, but turns out not to be all that important? Let me turn that question on its head. One of the things that people rarely think about, AMCP did some market research with payer decision makers. And the number two thing, second behind the cost of the product, because that's not always known 12 months ahead of time, second to the cost of the product, the economics of the care for that patient. And one of the challenges is that the FDA burden for evidence to get an approval is at one level, but it's usually with a smaller number of patients than a payer would want to make a decision about. So if there are hundreds of patients in the approval from the FDA, the payers making decisions about populations of millions, how do we cross over? That's where the real world evidence piece comes in, whether it's patient reported outcomes, retrospective claims data analysis, 
or it's even looking at electronic medical records to be able to describe the patient journey and then hypothetically position where your product would fit into that mix and then the impact of that. So the opportunity that is generally not thought of until well later after launch is, well, I have to wait until our product's out in the market to know what the evidence is. In fact, your payer doesn't even know what their burden of illness is for what they're paying for today. You can then create the hypothetical that suggests if we intervened here or here, here are the changes. Here's how it would affect your total cost of care for that population. That's the opportunity for this, I think. I've noted that Optum seems to be basically the go-to choice for making a lot of these real-world evidence claims that it's a claim, it's a larger data set. They just are on top of, as a payer, they're more on top of their data than others. Am I behind the times or is that basically still the go-to spot? Well, it depends. I mentioned claims analysis, and Optum is very good at that, and it's because they can draw on this United Healthcare claims database. The challenge with claims is that it tells you what, it doesn't tell you why. So it doesn't really describe the impact on cost of care, it just tells you that something took place, a decision to purchase or pay for took place. The benefit of looking at electronic medical records and even putting additional evidence requirements into your phase three studies is that you can actually pull in evidence out of charge masters. You can pull in evidence out of charges that go into the total care of that patient, even when they're in phase three, that is not typically looked at today. So one of the things that's remarkable about Cineos is that because the CRO component of our business has that close touch to building the evidence that goes into the approval. They're very interested in helping manufacturers ensure that they have the right evidence for payers by adding to that bucket of evidence that's collected during the phase three process. It's really remarkable. Our real world evidence group is immensely interested in trying to develop a greater insight to how we can do almost population-based thinking as opposed to product-based thinking. Actually, John, this sounds like it's pretty similar to a value prop tech that we bring to the payer after we're already on the market or at least once we've launched. Is that what it is? A pie deck is much like a value deck, but with a different level of marketing spin applied to it. So the reality of making the pie deck more than just a list of product attributes is to think through the evidence that they're actually asking you for. Beyond cost of the product, by far the number two thing that payers want is they want cost of care evidence. The only cost of care evidence that you truly have at this point is the real world evidence that's collected either from other databases for burden of illness or from within your own phase three studies. Mm -hmm. And you can do early readouts of that, not including maybe necessarily all of the product performance evidence, but the economic evidence, because you're collecting that on an ongoing basis. And in this day and age, that stuff's almost updated daily. It's a really compelling way to start thinking about delivering to a payer new information. John, one final question. So we've talked about how a payer gets the premiums right by planning in advance. Does it also help the payer set the formulary in advance or do they just wait? And so there's really nothing to do with that. Are we ahead of the game on the formulary placement by going with a pie discussion? That's a really good question because payers will often make decisions about product categories once a year. So for example, if it's January and that's your intended launch, your product category may not be reviewed until the following November if that category was just reviewed in the prior November. However, what's interesting about the pie discussion is that you can create a compelling reason for an early review by giving the payer information ahead of the curve so that they can then decide, yes, this is worth having on my formulary and I want to make sure that we get it into the bag of our physicians as soon as possible. So describing 
the value proposition of that product carefully, thoughtfully, with real-world evidence in your back pocket to be the description can drive potentially early decisions by payers on their formulary. John C., I've learned a lot. Thanks so much for joining me on the Cineos Health Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks again, Jeff. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk through a particular challenge that you're having at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at We're consultants. That's what we do.